Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall, and this is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today we're not talking with an expert or two in the field on an important issue, but rather we are doing this as a memorial to America's greatest chef, David Boulay. This is a film that evolved after years of knowing David as a friend, respecting his unique qualities as this gourmet chef. And I wanted to film it, and I, he said, fine. So over a period of weeks, we filmed him at the farmer's market, in his studios, in his kitchen, during a rush hour, just to show you that this was not an, a regular chef or a cook. This was a master of his field. His contributions to the culinary arts are immeasurable. He was just a decent human being, never boring at anything, always creative, always open. He had just this joy for living, always wanted to grow. And so I was very saddened a week ago when I heard that he had passed. And I sent a condolence email off to his wife. And so this is just my way of showing respect for someone that I spent many hours talking with. And I would highly recommend that you share this with people. Now, how do you watch this program? Not just listen to it. You go to parent.live, scroll down to the progressive commentary notes, show notes. And there'll be a link so you can watch the film. And the documentary, which was very popular at the time, this goes back, oh, probably 12 years ago, uh, was the art of uh, healthy cooking. So now, to a unique person, and a lot of chefs today around the world, because he was known and respected worldwide, um, can say, yeah, I knew David. And a lot of the things I do today are based upon the inspiration that David provided. Now to the clip. I'm always surprised as a chef that there's still so much confusion in how we should be eating. When I was very young, food was not something considered to give us so much pleasure or health benefits. It was never something that we should be passionate about in terms of elevating it to this level of joy, uh, uh, intrigue, uh, potential life benefits. It was, we had to eat. What I like about David Boulay is he takes the time to imagine what food could be like, not just to excite our palate, but also nourish us at all levels. The imagination, the excitement. We're too busy living in the intellectual side. Technology is driving us. We've got more and more challenges. The animal side needs to be taken care of. It needs to be nourished more. Food is a big part of it. Wonderful and unique experiences and reconnecting with what is natural. That's what you've been, that's, that's what I'm hearing you say all along in this conversation. As a chef, all you need is two or three experiences and you're, you're ignited. If you want to develop your own work and sign your own level of emotion to your food, 
you basically have to find your own approach to food. We have to teach ourselves how to cook. When you bring your creative energy together, your spiritual energy into it, and the intent is to have something manifest, open up, something beautiful unfold. You want people to eat your food and have the flavors unfold, and then the digestion be good, and then the cells nourished, and the DNA invigorated. And then it lives on. It, and that's a remarkable experience. No one will ever forget that. My approach has always been find the best ingredients. So what does it mean to have the best ingredients? Is sometimes the goal, the extra effort to find them. It's time that we went the effort to find the better ingredients. That we immediately saw the response from our customers. How do you go through creating your menus, your foods, your items? Some of the point of creativity comes from passing through the market. Some are feeling, some are the season. The eating experience should be, it should be a living experience. It should be a pleasure experience. It should be a nurturing experience. It should be a calming experience. It should be an exciting experience. And most Americans don't get that. Everywhere that I travel in the world, I've been to maybe 35 countries cooking. Food is a top celebration for the week. It's not an accessory to what their entertainment is. It's their top focus. The more that we learn about both high science sous vide cooking or ancient artisanal cooking, the more we learn about this almost primitive but very successful artisanal food safety that really no one can challenge. We should look back at how they were living hundreds of years ago and how they lived for hundreds of years with absolutely no risk in terms of, uh, of health uh, issues. In Japan, I don't think there's any other culture that understands the importance of when to, to harvest and when to enjoy. It's almost as if they're watching produce by the minute. When we are in South America or we are in Europe or we are in Japan, it's so clear they would never eat out of season. We are the energy of what we consume. If you consume live energy, vital energy, it's called vitalism. Vitalism is a way of thinking. Picasso was a vitalist. Michelangelo was a vitalist. You're a vitalist. I think the movement now is clearer than ever that you have a choice. What is in season? When it was picked? If we really want to have the highest pleasure of terms of how we eat and the best nutrients, we might have to redesign how we find these ingredients. We have to break out of mainstream. We have to, we have to get away from the luxury of having things so accessible because those choices are not the healthiest. I think we have to go from this high-level commercialization of everything where the bottom line profit is the only thing people consider and they don't look at the integrity of what they're being offered the purity of what they're being offered. And I believe it has to start by getting people to touch the soil, to grow, to go to the farmer's market and actually buy something. I think that in this country, sadly, I think the government wants every farmer to be a corporation. Yeah. I don't think that farmers are supported like they should be. Mm -hmm. Farmers, my suppliers, they don't make product for mainstream. They can't produce enough of it. Do not take the cookbook off the shelf, look at the recipe, and then go look for the ingredients. 
go to the market, fall in love with the ingredients, bring them home, find the recipe. One of the joys I have is living in New York City, you have a farmer's market. Hundreds of varieties of fresh fruits and vegetables and herbs and honey and melons, of flowers. This is the farmer's market at Union Square. I come down here each week to do much of my own shopping. The reason we're here today is because David Boulet, in some people's minds, the finest chef in America is going to show us how he shops because he comes here each day to make his selections for his restaurants. David. <laughs> yeah, just throw him in the back of the truck. Okay. Good to see you. Tell us your name. Franca Tantillo. You've been here a long time, haven't you? You're one of the founders of this market, aren't you? I'm the in-between, one generation before me, and then we were the ones that came in with specialty items to kind of... Now, you just mentioned what makes your strawberries so special. It's the mineral that matters. The higher the mineral, the higher the sugar content in all of our fruits and vegetables, and that's why we're eating, folks, to put minerals in our body. We're going to have David Boulet, America's Great Chef, here, who's going to show us... He comes here almost all the time, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he's a staple here. <laughs> yeah. The thing that we should understand is that this potato, which is called fingling, we put it on the market. Before you knew it, we got our first write-up in the New York Times, and there we were, and now it's a household name. This is the wild potato from Peru. There's 3,000 kinds of potato, or 4,000 kinds of potato. Every color known to man, there's a potato in Peru. That's the potato puree that when the dessert menu came, they said, no, 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 I don't want dessert. Bring me another plate of those potato purees because they never taste the potato like that. Could you go through how you select some of these vegetables? Well, yeah, each one has a story. Like, the, this is TriStar. They set a record with this strawberry. It was in all the magazines in the industry, but they made fun of it because they said this is not a strawberry. They would take a giant Driscoll from California that's all white inside with sugar about 4% and compare the two. Now people buy something because like this, because they know the sugar is there, the value is there. They don't need to buy a big strawberry that has no flavor, that's white inside. So this is another whole story. Now the TriStar is everywhere. Every chef is buying this strawberry. It doesn't last. Franca is responsible with her husband, Rick, to re-energize taste in products. We do many, many things with them. And we brought over maybe 15 vegetables from Europe that have never been grown in the United States. But today I'll be taking that whole basket because those are the first potatoes out of the ground. So the wall, see the skin is coming right off. That means it just came out of the ground two days ago. It's a new potato, so you can't even break it yet. When the humidity comes out, the flavor will increase and it'll become a nutty tasting potato. It's like hazelnuts, it'll taste like hazelnuts. You'll never get that flavor out of our potatoes. Some of these people, I buy from some I don't because some of them I know are using a lot of pesticides. Well, the peaches is one thing that was the first thing that got me into cooking. Uh, the story for me is that one of we had a big farm when we were kids, and we had many peach trees. And I was probably six years old, 
I was pulling a peach off a tree branch. My mother was next to me. And when the peach branch was going down, because I was yanking on the peach, my mother took my hand and she put it in another peach and she pushed my hand up. But when she took my hand down like this, there was peach sitting there and she said, that's the peach to eat. So ever since I'm a little boy, I learned about when is nature producing flavor. You have to be patient. When we used to eat our peaches, we have to go swimming after and the stream down the street because we were so sticky, all the bees were coming after us. Once you become intimate with the season, you only cook in this season. So this is where I get a lot of my flowers. And what I'm doing this year with Luke is that we're using mostly sunflowers. However, I love the sunflower because it has a purpose more than a flower. You know, we, we do things with the seeds, we make flour out of it, we make oil out of it. I plant them, I feed my birds up in uh, Kent. I do so many things with them. So I have a recycling happening. Now, how do you select your flowers? What do you base your selection on? Well, I'm, I have to think about the economics. So I'm gonna try to get something that's gonna last. Many of these flowers dry well. All, all the, those red flowers will hang. These, I have them in my wine cellar in fall. I'll hang them and dry them. So I'll use them all winter. They have one of the biggest flower farms in upstate. They're only growing things that have been grown here for 150, 200 years. Of course, we're always looking for a palette of pastels, a palette of natural colors. Not when I look for anything that is, um, we love all the pastels. And everyone knows that binders, if you want any kind of herb, now this is, this you have to smell. Mmm, has now, a lime smell to yeah. it. And almost every dinner, family dinner, during the week in France, you're gonna finish with a, with a uh, infusion at the end for digestion. Verven is the most popular. Oh. We have Tial and Camamie. How do you use this? We, we make everything from ice cream to the teas. We make infusion oils. This is an amazing product. It can bloom in an oil where you have that aromatic, long-distance citrus taste. Herbs have functioned beyond most people's imagination. So let me introduce you to... Can I steal you? Can I steal Oh, her? no. No. This is another Adele Simmons. Okay. Hello. You grow all this yourself still? My son-in-law, my daughter, yeah. I just you, help him a little bit. You help? Yeah, I help How old him. are you now? 85. 85. But she's even got the benefits of lemongrass. All this has a function. So no one grows plants like hers. She knows the value of the benefits of the herbs. So Rick was married to Franca. Rick started out after graduating from Cornell with his master in agriculture with a different idea of what he was going to do with his life of growing. His greatest effort was putting nitrogen in the ground and mineralizing the ground. And no one's growing like him. Nobody has flavor like him. Every chef is queued up here in the morning to get all his stuff. Hey, no, good to meet you. Nice to meet you, Rick. I'm a farmer upstate. He used to come up and visit the farm and get coach us in different directions, but kind of catching that whole revolution of when getting stuff from the farm was becoming uh, important for, for flavor. Now it's almost a part of, you know, statement for betterment of the community and the planet, but Back then, Dave was just doing it for the flavoring, planting new varieties of things. And this is one of those things. The sacrine lettuce is actually a French lettuce that uh, grows really slow. You can grow something even bigger than this in 32 days. This takes 56 days to get. Wow. But it grows slow, and it's got a sweet heart in the middle. It's a really delicious lettuce, and it's 
an example of slower growing heirloom breeds that have amazing flavor. This is the real wild Italian arugula. It's a, it's a uh, peppery. You taste it. Just taste one leaf. You'll see how peppery it is. A lot of people watching right now are really now getting, they're getting their attention focused. They don't want genetic engineering and 70% of all the major crops in America, corn, wheat, soy are genetically engineered. We want to motivate people to try doing community gardening or growing something outside or getting something grown for them. Explain the steps of starting with the soil. The old saying is a farm is only as rich as its soil. And it's true because when you build your soil, it's like your farm bank account. Putting mineral powders, lime, green sand, granite dust, gypsum, rock phosphate, compost, sea kelp, all these things that you do to, to build your soil. You don't want to use chlorinated fertilizers. You don't want to use things that kill your soil. Most of the entire country uses uh, potassium chloride to, for potassium as a fertilizer. And it's like pool chlorine, and it just kills the soil dead. There's no bacteria. You've got probably today somewhere in here you probably have a neighborhood of 5,000 seeds. So the idea that we can use these seeds as non-genetically engineered organic heirloom seeds and start seed banks, that's what we're missing. Monsanto's pushing all their power in the White House. So if they have their way, Monsanto will only have us buying their seed and no other seed. You know, I would ask you to take your, your power that you have to convince people to go out and seek the, the young farmers that are starting in the, your local farmer's market in the square, Missouri, and, and have these young farmers pick out the heirlooms and listen to the chef. My goal in the next five years is to get two million Americans to get out of the city and the suburbs and go back to rural America, be supported by the rest of America in growing only organic heirlooms and supplying it to their local communities 25% goes free to food banks to help the poor and those in need. And then they have a national organic heirloom seed exchange. You realize we don't even have 2 million small farmers in America today. No, we have 2% of the people are on the land right now. And that's way, way under where it should be. So what but are you going to do about it? Well, we're, <laughs> How are you going to help us out here? If we don't get people educated, if we don't get people moving back, first coming to the market, first eating this, first going into a restaurant that serves organic, and then working with people, learning your lessons, learning David's lessons, demanding this. Demand, that's the word. All right. I'm going to give you the responsibility it, of, of creating a market demand for those farmers out in America to take advantage of. You can do that, can't you? I'll do that. All right. All right. Create the demand. The farmers will pick up the flag and go with it. Right. I understand we're going to go down to your restaurant now and. Yes, we're going to go eat some vegetables. All right, good. <laughs> I'm gonna show you something that's going to change your perception of what healthy dining can be. This is called Goulet. David Goulet is the owner, the founder, a great chef. He is the person responsible, probably more than anyone else, for bringing a form of nouvelle cuisine in a healthy way to the United States. He is very respected in that sense. This is his wife, Nicole. Nice to meet you. Great to see you. Could you take us on a tour? I'd love to. So we're standing in um, the doorway of uh, the restaurant. And what's great about um, all of David's restaurants is they have a signature apple scent. Um, many people may remember the old restaurant across the street 
that uh, when you walked in, there were baskets of apples. And this time we've created a whole tier section so that when you walk in, you're engulfed by the scent of apples and you forget about your entire day. And it sets the tone for the rest of the meal. Come on in. So this is the lounge of Boulay restaurant. What's important is when you're creating a, a restaurant um, is to have a dream and a passion. And every detail in the restaurant is an extension of David's food. The mural um, that you see is, was created by uh, a gentleman named Walter Dulk. And initially, the whole background was a jet black. And we actually asked him to kind of come back to life um, with this piece and he started to infuse slight rose colors and he brought the black into it. Um, a beautiful cobalt blue. So each person that worked on the space was also transformed as they were um, a part of the process. And that's what happens um, when people try David's food. They, they leave in a different state of mind. I think what's important when you're designing a space that you either live in or, or one that you're visiting um, is to sense the passion that goes into making the place. and. If anything, when you start out with something that's on the highest level, um, I think it's almost like a magnet. Everything else comes to you at a higher place. We were actually able to secure 33 tons of stone that was the same stone used to build the Chateau Versailles, um, the same stone that was used for Place de Vosges. It's, it's just a unique position to be able to work with um, compagnols that understand the language within the stone and to be able to highlight it, bring it out, and, and highlight um, an era from you know, Louis XV. David's devoted his whole life to the passion of the diner's experience and having them walk away with a, a pure experience. David has incredibly high standards, and compromise is not part of his language. Um, he wants everything to be laser and the richness of every detail, and then multiply that. There are several different rooms that you can have um, a full experience with. There's a main dining room, um, the library, we wanted the, the solitude and the serenity that it has just on its own. We found the paintings in uh, the Marche Pousse as well as um, some of the light fixtures and also in the flea market. So I'm going to start to prepare a few things here that are simple techniques that people can do at home and talk about some of the ingredients. Uh, we're going to make some dressings. We're going to talk about some of the, um, the oils that we have available to us. For instance, grapeseed, which is the highest uh, heating oil before it, it, it breaks down. Yeah, I think it's still one of the highest for vitamin E, I believe, grapeseed oil. Uh, we have sunflower and safflower oil. Uh, of course, we have flax, we have basic olive oil, we have pumpkin seed oil, we have wheat germ oil, which we're using more and more and more. There are these, which I call, when I tell cooking class, uh, don't be afraid to use these in a simple way. 
There are certain oils we cannot heat, like flax. There are certain oils we can heat beyond your imagination. But when you have these now in your pantry, you have the best fats available. We're gonna move right now into a um, tomato terrine. When we make dashi, we should always try to use, uh, use a bottle of water, a vulvic. You wanna use a lower pH. Now basically what we're doing here is we put in this kombu into the water. We bring it to a boil, not to a boil anymore because the classic Japanese cuisine was to boil things, but now they realize 160, 170 will capture more health ingredients. Already in Boule for 20 years, I have been making tomato water. And how we make tomato water is very simple. We just take diced tomatoes, either red tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, put them in a blender with salt. The salt extracts the sweetness out of the tomato. Without the salt, you have an acid tasting tomato water. And when it's blended, we put it in a cloth and it falls completely clear. Now when you have the broth, you have now the opportunity to make many kinds of soups, many kinds of juices, many kinds of sauces. What we have here is a tomato terrine. These are made with different colors of tomatoes, so we're not gonna have the intensity of the red, but they're yellow and green and some light red. We're making an almond sauce. There's two ways to make an almond sauce. The almond sauce will open up a whole new uh, repertoire of potential uh, dishes for you. These are simple almonds. You can use the dried almonds that are sliced. You would put them in a bowl and double the amount of water, but it has to be mineral water, gas water. Put it in the bowl, put it in the refrigerator. Two days later, take it out. It's become a solid paste. Blend it in a Cuisinart, put it in a cloth, and squeeze out, and you will get white almond milk. Now we have something very close to competing with a dairy product, which is also competing with possible a tofu, which can easily be mixed with either one of these, becomes a sauce, which we'll do in a second. So now we're just gonna put some of the almond sauce down, and we're gonna put on the tomato terrine. The tomato terrine is made very simply by Slicing tomatoes, taking the seeds, put them in a little baking dish, putting grapeseed oil, some olive oil, maybe some sapphire oil on to cover, a few fresh bay leaves, some garlic, and cooking it at 120 degrees for 24 hours. The skin comes right out and you have a, a concentration and a, almost like a, um, a, a texture of a perfectly ripe plum or peach. So you can do many, many things with it. So we take this and we mix it with aga-aga, some tomato water, or even some dashi, put it in a terrine, and we have a terrine. So we have a, a wheatgrass, that everyone knows what that is if you're concerned about health. A few drops here are gonna bring out this almond sauce. And then we have basil oil, which is also available to us now. Very easy to make as well. So we have some chlorophyll, and now we have a dish that we can garnish with an herb flower like this coriander, or possibly a basil, or one of the other many fresh herbs that you can find in the garden, and you have this. Now basically, this is a total vegan dish, and we know all the benefits of all the green chlorophyll, particularly for B vitamins. So now we have uh, a dish that's very simple. 
Uh, it's a dish that can last for a week in the refrigerator. Made from the tomato water, the tomatoes that are cooked. You can also roast the tomatoes like they would in the Mediterranean and put in your agaga and pack it into a tree and make this. Now here's something that we might add a little bit extra flavor. This is orange powder. Again, there's a lot of benefits of that. It's basically the skin peeled. We put it on a tray, we dust with a tiny little bit of powdered sugar, put it in the oven for about 15 hours, it becomes like a branch, put it in the coffee grinder, and you have orange powder. One of the ways we learned how to cook mushrooms in the restaurant, that became um, very popular, and I tell all my people in my cooking class, is that you can see it's cooked in oil, okay? Mushrooms, what do we do with mushrooms? Um, we get mushrooms in, a lot of times they melt very quickly, we don't know how to use them. A lot of the cooks are still cooking mushrooms under too much heat, too high heat, and become oily and crunchy. What do you do with mushrooms when you buy them? How long do they last? They last such a short time. So what we've done is we've been to take all our mushrooms, put them in a good oil, thank you, any mushroom, like porcini, or chanterelle, uh, shiitake, any of these mushrooms work. So we put them in the oil, an oil that makes sense from a health point, olive oil, rapeseed oil, safflower oil, great, great, thank you. One of my favorites and one of the healthiest oils is safflower oil. We put them in a pot, we cover them, we bring them to a simmer just for a, about a minute. What that does is it kills bacteria, but doesn't expand all the cells to a point where they rupture and break. We simmer it very low for not more than one minute. And we take it out, we leave it in the oil, and let it cool down. We have a beautiful textured mushroom that has a taste of what a mushroom should taste like. It can be eaten cold, it can be eaten hot, it can be grilled, it can be recooked. We didn't totally cook it yet, so it still has this composition where it can survive another high level of heat. And you have two to three weeks shelf life on a mushroom. Anybody can Google mushrooms and find out how healthy they are. The benefits, detoxing, cleansing blood, like some of the vegetables we're gonna to use today, like um, kohlrabi or burdock, uh, these kind of vegetables. Now this is, this is mushroom water. This can be cooked to a point where it is totally dark, depending on how long you wanna cook it. And all this is, is the cheapest button mushroom that you can buy in the store, and it's five times more water than the mushroom. You put it in a pot, you turn on a fire, and you go and read a book or you go to work, but it simmers. You can put it on at night and take it off in the morning. This is what I call about 75%. We go 90%. It becomes dark and smells like truffle juice. In fact, there was a man trying to sell me truffle juice not long ago, a can, $80. And I had that in a soup bowl, and he smelled it. I reduced it 90%. It was black. And he smelled it and he said, this is great. How much did this cost you? I said, 27 cents, but the truffle jar was $80. What do you do with it? We make a sauce out of that, which would be used for anything. Fish, meat, vegetables. Now, this is a pine nut dressing. We put in Pine olive oil until it's very close, and then we put in a big scoop of garlic puree, roasted very slowly, because I believe garlic, the more we cook it, the more we diminish the potential. So we cook it very slowly um, in a low heat, 
And again, we're talking about the damage that heat creates, so we pay attention to that. We learn all this in vacuum bag cooking, where we cook at lower temperatures, and we create higher quality textures and much healthier products. We would put it in this, and it's already roasted, it's sweet. We cook it, we would add any, any one of these, which are celery. Onions cook for two hours until they're like um, brown leaves and it becomes beautiful sweet pulp and fennel. And that's how we thicken our sauces since over 20 years. So most folks would be using starches, uh, fats, uh, other elements to thicken things which are hard to digest and you don't need it. Now, the garlic would be roasted 15-20 minutes on a tray with a little olive oil and salt and pepper and maybe some bay leaves or thyme or something. And then with the skin, we push on this with a scraper until we have garlic peanut butter over here. And we scrape that out and we reserve it. The skin has to be pushed through. You don't peel the skin off. The amount of nutrients are in the skin. We want that to blend into the puree as we push through. We have a, a mushroom dressing here. In this dressing is pumpkin seed oil and pistachio oil, two very good products. Okay, so what do we have here? We talked about the benefits of the leek and you should Google a leek and realize how great of an antiseptic the leek is. We already talked about the mushrooms. So we have the agaga again. Uh, we can use seaweed also from gelatin from seaweed. So we don't have to use animal seaweed, which I don't like. So gelatin with seaweed base is cleaner, particularly in pastry, than gelatin from animal. So we have now a mushroom and leek terrine. So kohlrabi puree. I'm sure you could talk for quite some time about the benefits of kohlrabi. All right, so this is a non-dairy product again. What do you have in the pine nut uh, sauce today? Okay. Esplat pepper. Okay, so esplat pepper, pine nuts toasted like you saw, pine nuts, um, yogurt. Now we have a very interesting dish. It's very sophisticated in terms of folks that want to eat wine, drink wine. You got all the benefits. These are baby leeks right now from Organic Farm Upstate. You got the mushroom juice. Inside the dressing, you can see the oil in there. What are those oils? Pistachio, pumpkin seed oil. You got kohlrabi, and you have a pine nut yogurt. You would really think this was designed for health. It's not at all. It's just, it came together like this. So now we're gonna make a hearts of palm dish, and we're gonna incorporate fresh chamomile, the slices of hearts of palm, tomato water, a drop of olive oil, and so now how we make this, because many people know that some things like this are very good for you. Sturgeon flour. You should all Google that and find out how many minerals and vitamins there are in the sturgeon flour. What do you do with that? Interesting. Hmm. Tastes good. Now what? Okay. Here. Here we go. Throw it in the mortar. Thank you. 
We're going to use a little bit of um, grapeseed oil. And we're going to use some safflower oil. And a little bit of olive oil. And now we're going to crush it. And it's become a beautiful dressing, but we won't need to put any seasoning because it's spicy already. It has peppery taste. It has a good amount of acid, so we don't need to salt it. Okay, so we're going to have that made here. And now I'll make a camami puree. And now we're going to use the yellow parts of the flour, which are so good for you. Actually, it can relax you, of course, with the chamomile tea. We're going to break that in there. And we're going to use the olive oil. Okay. And now we're going to make the chamomile oil. We have a beautiful crushed kamami. And we only use the, the yellow parts. We take the green out and the white out. We have just the yellow. That's what's in there. So, I'm gonna put that over here. So you can see there's a little bit of nasturgeon still in there. But if we don't want that, uh, does anybody have a scraper or a spatula? Thanks. So we're going to make just the oil. And you can see now how it's almost like working with the pigment of a painter. You can see we've got this amazing scented oil. So we have one here with the sturgeon. Okay. We have it with the chamomile. We have heated up the hearts of palm. So. We're gonna put it on the plate. We have now burdock. So burdock cooked in dashi with ginger juice. Very good. A little bit of tomato water. A little bit of, of um, soy. And talking about something like soy products, for instance, soy, soy, soy sauce. In Japan, most of the soy sauce that's being a refrigerator. Why? That's being a refrigerator because the soy sauce in Japan has living bacteria. We have now one level of burdock. We're going to put another one. Hearts of palm, some more burdock. So now we're going to put this one on top. And we're going to do one more. Okay. Now we know this, those of us who eat burdock in a Japanese restaurant, but very often here, they may make it too dark. We don't even taste the burdock anymore. And why is that? So it lasts longer. So have a longer shelf life. So now we've got this. And now we have the juice, which I'm going to make a little sauce. So I have some kemami oil. I'm going to put some of the broth from the hearts of palm and the steamed chamomile flowers. 
Okay. Now we have a beautiful dressing. Okay. And we have a little bit of the nasturgeon. And since we're in the, the season for the herb flowers, we're going to go with a little some herb flowers. And then we're going to put one beautiful kamami flower that hasn't been cooked on top. And oil, vanilla oil, a vanilla bean. All right, and then we might put, do you have a little balsamic over there in pastry? A balsamic cooked with many other things. Cooked with walnuts, cooked with fruit, whatever you like. We put a couple drops of balsamic. So you have a beautiful dish, very healthy, packed with flavor, and way off the charts for nutrition. I mean, it would be hard to find a dish that you could design that would be that healthy with the level of burdock, the kamami, the nasturtium that are in here, plus even the vanilla. Homemade tofu, very easy to make. Heat up soy milk, put nigiri in, and watch it in two seconds become like that. How long you let it drip, the water comes out, is the texture of tofu. Silky, firm, hard, the hard you could grill. This would use different ways. Homemade tofu. Anybody can make it? All right, now, miso, sweet miso, yellow miso, yellow sweet miso. A little bit in there. Uh, some ginger juice. Very simple ginger. Thank you. Peel the ginger, grate it, put in a cloth, squeeze it out. Ginger juice. Very good in the morning for your body. A little bit of curry powder. Also, let's talk about turmeric. So why don't we just use turmeric and put that in there. We don't need the curry, but there's other good things in there. So ginger, turmeric, miso, bacteria, dashi, tomato water, a little bit of miso sauce, a little bit of broccoli sprouts, and fresh seasoned germinated fresh wheat berries. You want to bring out, I'm gonna put a little bit of green apple juice, just the juice of the apple. Because I noticed in America, there are people that like sweet, sweet acid. It's the palate that we have here. So now we've created that. So something very healthy, very easy to make. Tofu with broccoli sprouts, spring wheat, and a ginger and curry miso dressing. We're gonna make a, a very Mediterranean dish now. This is the Parsi water and one of the gums soft gelatins, and we blend in aloe vera into that, also expanding. Now I did that because I like the clarity of the aloe vera. So you can see the lights going in there. Before it was pastel, like a green paint. Now you can see we have like an enamel on it. Now we have uh, eggplant, 
that was just put on top of the fire. And we burnt off the skin. So you can see that. Very simple. Now we talked about the rolls olive sauce. High speed blender, a little bit of garlic puree, garlic oil, some bay leaf powder. We have this amazing sweet sauce. The bell pepper sauce is only made from red bell peppers, seeded, stem out, put in a carrot juicer. Uh, the juice comes out, it looks like red water, cook it down like this, 80-90%-95% and you get this amazing powerful tasting paprika. We're going to put a little dashi in. Okay, because we're going to make a little dressing here. We're going to whisk in a little bit of garlic oil. drop of ginger, one drop of mustard oil, okay, you can see we have a texture now, we don't have to thicken it, nothing in there, and now, some fresh oregano. Some glow basil. Can I have a few garlic chips, please? So, put them on a sheet of wax paper or silpat and bake them in the oven until they're very crunchy at a very low heat overnight. So a few garlic chips and now mustard flowers right now at the market. So it's in season right now. Here we have roasted eggplant over the fire, parsley water, rose olive sauce, and a reduction of just red bell pepper juice. You can't express yourself without technique. So we all know that. Get technique down and you become very emotional and you can show people your work with your name on it. We're going to now find out about the man, the artist. How do you go through creating your menus, your foods, your items? There's a couple kinds of people in our industry. One is very organized very structured. He goes to the kitchen with a very clear recipe. Everything is weighed out. I need this and I'm going to execute that. I'm not that person. I go into a kitchen and I let things talk to me. The process of creativity comes from within. Where, where are things forming inside and what has been important to you and what has been a milestone in your life that took a lot of your attention. Other creativity comes from elements that you know earlier you've studied, putting together, but you haven't done it yet.
It's a chef that I worked at, Roger Verger, the Moulin Moujaf, three stars, one of the most famous chefs of the 70s. Mr. Verger was one day traveling with Picasso, and this was when he was building his reputation. He hadn't received his highest awards yet in terms of stars. And he was explaining how he is frustrated, how he can't think where he wants to go with his food, he can't think of what his next dish would be like. And the way he was describing his process made Mr. Picasso very aggravated. And he told him, who do you think you are that you're gonna think out your next levels of creativity? Creativity comes when you open the faucet of the new well, it runs with mud in it and dirty until eventually it runs clean. You should be doing 100 things a week even though 99 are failures and only one is good until it becomes 99 are good and one is a failure. You have to be creative by doing. You have to take the plunge. You have to go. You have to go through the process. I never went to cooking school so I don't really know what it's like to have studied my industry from that point. But I did have a study at home with my French background. We always had farm, we always had fruits, we had live chickens, many kinds of fruit trees and vegetables and made our own cheeses, our own wine. It was an environment that I grew up that was very much into French culture. And constantly thinking back, well, what is really my DNA? Why, why am I cooking? How do I approach cooking? And the other part of um, creativity is in my business is to generate an experience for my customer. Now every customer is different. There's a bell to ring and everybody has a different bell. I have to find it and I have to ring it. Now when I ring that bell, if I ring it properly, they could carry an experience for forever. Every time I went there, the dishes are different. Not a single, you know, redundancy. So it was like a kind of a jazz improvisation, you know, as light as Bill Evans, as aggressive as Miles Davis, as deep as John Coltrane. But he gave me, you know, only one phrase each time. So I wanted to hear more. We can drive emotion. And the emotion part, we can execute meals that are good, that are healthy. But then it takes a lot more attention to detail and a greater awareness to put emotion into a form. We call it art, we call it creativity. These are conditions and these are areas which I have to conform in. After that, I'm totally free. The creativity process starts thereafter with the ingredients and now we have a team. Because in my industry, I'm not painting the canvas by myself. I need a lot of team. So where are we as a team in terms of producing something new that is going to be significant to our customers? What personalities are in my kitchen? What are their sensitivities? What is motivating them? Together with our history of working together and our response from our customers, we start to form a group of people that are harmonizing our efforts, like a band or you know, a group of dancers. What is in season? Our season is more than four seasons, a chef. We probably have six or eight. But now that we've been studying Japanese cooking for 14 years, we've learned that they have 20 seasons. 
So when I first started studying Japan, I realized that a lot of the approach to their cooking from a creative point was where are we in nature and how are we balancing our efforts in nature? What is nature producing and how are we employing what nature is producing into a season? The average person watching right now will think, oh, God, I know four seasons and the Japanese 20 seasons. What does that mean? What, we, what we're collecting through the spring period alone could be three seasons for us. For instance, the early vegetables, some of the early leaves, some of the wild greens, many of these kind of things are going to surface. And how they surface, they're either going to have flavor, if the weather's proper, if there's a lot of rain, they won't have flavor. So we may collect a mushroom, you have to dry the mushroom before we can even use the mushroom. Then we may have a short period of time where the weather is perfect and the mushrooms are just amazing. They have, they have a, a balance of, of gas, a balance of minerals, a balance of aromatic forest scents in the spring that are very different than in the fall. In Japan, they have many, many celebrations because they celebrate things like the big sky, the Milky Way, of course, the cherry blossoms. They'll celebrate so many different elements. When I know this restaurant in, uh, in uh, Japan uh, is only two tables of four, and you are not able to make a reservation there. You are, if you ever get to eat an experience, you have been recognized by him and his wife as food people, and they will send you next year's open calendar. You fill a date, you pay, and you show up. Non-transferable. If, if you're not able to go, they prefer the chairs are empty. They don't want to cook for somebody they don't know. Now, my last meal last July, when I went there, it was a sunny day. We couldn't get dinner, so we had to eat for lunch. So we walked up the stairs, and there were no lights. And I was thinking, well, too bad, they must have lost power. And Madame brought me to my chair, and I sat down. I found my chair, and my wife, I hear Miss Sujin, I hear a woman breathing, because I know it's a table of four. And there's another table of four over there. There's one room, low ceiling. And why are we in the darkness in the second week in July? It's because it's the season of fireflies. She comes out with a jar of live fireflies, and she's throwing them in our clothes, and they're flying all around, and we're celebrating the season of fireflies. But also, we spoke earlier about 20 seasons. This is also the week of the big sky. The Milky Way is the brightest for those 18 days of the whole year. So where do all the fireflies go? Within minutes, they're all on the ceiling. Now we are looking at the big sky. The lights go on, the meal starts. I have to insist that a dinner should be called a celebration, because you have the opportunity to really be able to, to bring each meal, both from nutrition and from a pleasure point, to a new level. You make the choice. Could you please go through, David, what you would consider would help people make food not just an experience, but also bring the change of mind of being more conscious about the choices you make to all areas of your life. To be the, the result of all this good work and benefits, you have to be ready for it. You have to be able to accept it. But there is some work that you have to put yourself into to really appreciate the potential of what I call, again, a meal. Food is more than just in nature, it has architecture. Even in the wild, there's architecture. The room is part of the architecture of the presentation. When you take something out of nature, you broke the, the architecture of nature. 
It's a beautiful thing, things in nature. It's amazing. Now our responsibility is to bring back some attractiveness to the food, to complement the food. It can be architecture, it can be lighting, it can be color, it can be scent. I think that's a huge part of what a lot of people are learning. But for some reason, there are goals that they need to cross to build the confidence of which is so close to them in terms of how they would produce it on their own, the satisfaction of going through the process. Practical knowledge is the key to get, in our world, is to get people seduced to a point where their level of confidence and curiosity and pleasure is going to become, there's a level of momentum that they will now never change, they will never go back. You cannot yourself feel and as good as you will feel when you cook a meal, whatever it can be, and you share it with your friends and they're all happy. This is an experience that you cannot buy. And this is an experience that makes you so much happier in yourself, in your soul, because you're sharing, which is a very important part of living, is to share. A very important part is celebrating, and a very important part is good nourishment. Now, that level of celebration is so contagious and builds up so much momentum because once your body gets adjusted to eating fruits and vegetables that have true flavor, the nutrition is what I think is compelling you next time to make the choice. It's worth the time and effort to find the imperial products that Mother Nature yields to us in season but the true craving is when your body has been supplied with high level of nutrients, you don't forget this. And the more exposure we can find ourselves personally involved in, it's more difficult to walk in the opposite direction. You will find yourself having so much more joy eating and you'll find yourself feeling so much healthier from those efforts. Once you begin this path, Everything that you need will come to you in terms of how you feel about those choices, how you're enjoying the flavor of those choices, and you will be hooked. Hopefully you enjoyed it and saw what a wonderful human being he was and a good friend. And go to GaryAndAll.com to look at all the other films that we have, and you might want to look up David Boulay and see the books, articles written about him for further exploring his uniqueness. Thank you all for watching and listening. Share this with other people as well, and have a nice day. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the answer.
for only love. 